It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. Cork's greatest Doesn't it even look like the weather is encouraging us to stay indoors? A very good Friday morning to you as we welcome you along to the last one of the week and the start of the August bank holiday weekend. We have John Paul and Sadie taking your calls. If there's anything you want to share with us, 1850 333103. You can text her WhatsApp 086 103 and that sudden spike in the COVID-19 infections yesterday I think came as a huge shock to so many people when we heard that the numbers had risen to 85 people being confirmed in the previous 24 hours. You've got some people speculating could this be the start of a second wave? Uh, It is deeply unsettled and shaken public health uh, officials. Well, I think everybody all over the country sort of went into a mode of uncertainty. What does this mean? The virus, is it going to take a grip on the country? I suppose it, to me, it certainly proves that the virus hasn't gone away. Don't know, think it's too early to say if it is the start of a second wave. But I suppose if you've been monitoring COVID-19 worldwide you will know that there is a second wave in so many other countries countries that were doing even much better than we were doing here in this uh, country look what's happening in Australia they have a second wave now they do seem to have it contained to uh, the state of Victoria and in around Melbourne but they don't seem to be getting a handle or a grip on the second wave and that seems to be happening in other countries as well when the second wave appears it seems to be harder to get the second wave under control and I don't really understand why that is because you would have assumed that we learn from the first infection of COVID-19 and the first wave that you would hope by the time a second wave came we would all know what to do but that doesn't seem to be happening in other parts of the world. Second wave seems to be much more difficult uh, to get a handle on. Now it's the next few days they are going to be the real important ones in trying to work out yesterday's figure of 85, is it just a blip and has the virus been confirmed to the clusters but the worry is, has it seeped out into the wider community? The Acting Chief Medical Officer, uh, Roland Glynn, who delivered the news to us yesterday evening, he is saying, and I suppose he is being hopeful that yesterday's numbers was just a blip associated with a number of specific clusters 
and I suppose his hopes are that that's what it is but we don't know at this stage could it be a sign of something more significant or something more sinister. The number of new cases reported yesterday more than doubled the worst case scenario seen earlier this week is the biggest shock and setback of the summer and of course the timing of it couldn't have been worse at the start of the bank holiday weekend. Now when you dig down into the figures and I think after we all got over the shock of, oh my God, 85 new, new, new cases, then it was time to look at the figures. OK, let's just drill down and find out where these 85 cases had uh, come from. I mean, the worst case scenario would have been that there were 85 individual cases dotted all over the country and the contact tracing was now starting on these 85 people. And you would think, yes, we definitely are in the middle of a new wave. So it wasn't. Central to all of the cases is this dog food factory in Kildare. And that had seen a large cluster in cases. Now that has been, I think it got shut down, the actual plant. It's the Irish Dog Foods, that's the name of the company. They took the decision, they, they, it's in Nace in County Kildare. They actually closed the plant last Friday when there was an outbreak discovered. So what has happened since is the outbreak was discovered last Friday and then so many cases tested positive. Contact tracing then started and that's how we ended up with a figure of 85 yesterday. There was a cohort of contacts from the people who initially tested positive uh, last, this time last week. Now, some of the people working in the Irish Dog Foods factory also happened to be residents in a direct provision centre nearby. They brought the COVID-19 back with them to the direct provision centre. So then there was another cluster of cases in the direct provision centre and they've now tested positive for uh, COVID-19. And obviously people with the virus in the direct provision centre have been uh, located to a hotel, hotel nearby to self-isolate because we know at all the direct provision centre self-isolating is almost impossible. And then further looking at the figures, other clusters were in the construction industry and we We've been hearing this coming out from Dublin. Have we three sites in Dublin that have been forced to close down because of clusters of uh, cases? And obviously somebody gets COVID-19 positive. Who have you been with over the last week? They're all contacted. They're all asked to come forward. And now some of those obviously are testing positive. There was also clusters in private households and extended families. So somebody brought it home, passed it on to everybody else in the household. And if anybody else from the extended family came visiting, they got it as well. So of the 85 cases, 26 were located in Kildare. That would have been the dog food plant and the direct provision uh, centre. 18 were in Dublin and I'm assuming a lot of those 18 were to do with the construction sites. Then there was 11 in County Clare, 9 were in Leash, 7 were in Limerick and 4 were in Meath. And then they just say the remainder were spread across seven other counties. Were some of them in Cork? I, I don't know. So let's take a look at how many would have been spread in the other seven counties. So you have the 26 plus the 18 plus the 11 plus the nine in Leash, the seven in Limerick and the four in Meath. That adds up to 75 cases. So it meant 10 additional cases were spread across seven counties. So they're very much isolated uh, cases. Maybe one, two or three of them uh, could be with us here in Cork, but very, very low uh, figures. One third of the new cases were all close contacts to somebody who already tested positive. So that's in itself good news because it shows that the contact tracing is uh, working. We did have sadly one more death reported uh, yesterday but the number of people being treated in hospital is very low so I mean we've had, did we have four days where we had no deaths reported very small number of people are in hospital and even smaller number of people are inside of intensive care so we are going to 
hopefully and thankfully get a run on days. It could even run into weeks where we won't have anybody pass away from COVID-19. Again, trying to find all of the good news in all of these stories. But Dr. Roland Glenn, when he was asked, he said, we are very concerned. Uh, Key to understanding the clusters is whether they're contained or whether they've spread out into the uh, community. And that's where the next two days and the figures for the next two days are important. And he actually gave a figure yesterday. He said the hope is that the daily number of cases will be back below 40 today and tomorrow and that certainly would show that the clusters have been contained and that it hasn't spread out into the wider community up to yesterday of course uh, it was around 20 cases a day we certainly weren't going uh, over that Uh, Dr Ronan Glynn added that we need to take a moment and see what comes through on Friday and Saturday and then he said only then they'll make recommendations uh, if needed and of course he's back again to pleading with people to adhere to the basic messages we're still back at the physical distancing the hand washing, the wearing of face masks. And he said his fear was that people start to think, Usher, it's all over, it's gone. He's warning people should see everyone that they come in contact with as potentially infectious. And I don't know if that's something I've ever done, uh, but maybe that's something that we should all start thinking about. Every single person you come in contact with could potentially be infectious. And it could mean in a day or two, because you met that person that you could end up getting a phone call to say that you've been in contact with somebody who has tested positive for COVID-19. And of course, the real worry with figures rising is the next stage, the opening up of stage phase four, which should be happening next Monday week. And that, of course, includes the reopening of over 3,000 pubs. These are the pubs that only sell alcohol that have remained uh, closed. Uh, I listened with interest when Dr. Glim was pushed as to whether he could see and whether he would say did he think the pubs were going to reopen on the 10th of uh, August. He acknowledged that the impact, he acknowledged that there was an impact on workers and on, on the businesses and you know he accepted that there were people really struggling because the pubs have closed from an economic uh, point of view but he warned the reopening of schools and the risk to residential centres of a resurgence of the virus had to be part of the wider considerations and obviously they're what going to be seen first and foremost. Uh, they're going to make sure that nothing happens that could threaten the opening of the uh, schools. So I take it that that news would have been a grim signal to publicans that they may not be able to reopen on the 10th of August. Now on the other side of that, but this would have come before those figures were announced and before Dr Glynn had his say. The Taunashta Lear Varadkar, he was asked about the opening of pubs and he says that he hopes that the government will be able to decide on next Tuesday to give the go-ahead to the pubs to open on the following Monday, the 10th of August. But he did say he wasn't giving any guarantees at this stage. He said he would also like to see more people able to attend outdoor gatherings, particularly football and hurling matches. And obviously what he's referencing there is at the moment there's only 200 people allowed in an outdoor venue. He'd like to see that number go up. And of course people also always cite places like uh, Cook Park, Semper Stadium and Porky Cueve and that it's crazy big venues like that that they can only have 200 spectators because they would be well able to take more and still adhere to social distancing. Now it seems the Cabinet will be meeting on Tuesday and they will 
then have received advice from NEFET, the National Public Health Emergency Team, and then they'll decide on whether the country can move to phase four of easing restrictions. Are they saying, would it be something like phase four, that they might allow some things to go ahead or they might, you know, pick and choose out of phase four, what can we open and hold back on some uh, reopening. Remember Dr Gillian de Gascoigne though last week warned people that if figures started to go up we could be going backwards and we could return to fa- to phase two which is what no nobody wants. But in the Dáil yesterday there was a lot of talk and a lot of commentary about would the pubs be able to reopen and there's a big push for pubs to reopen particularly pubs in rural areas and one independent uh, Galway a TD Noel Grealish he said publicans were worried that th- some of them were worried that they will never reopen properly until a vaccine has been found and if that's the case they're going to require financial support. Now he did say social distancing is extremely difficult to maintain in a pub setting but he said keeping pubs closed indefinitely is just resulting in a massive surge in home drinking and what is home drinking leading to? uncontrolled house parties. He also spoke about the fact that many of our publicans are aged over 66 so they haven't qualified for the pandemic uh, payment and he said some of these pubs were the pubs particularly the smaller rural ones they were already really struggling just to remain open and that was before the crisis ever came. He said in many cases they are the only social activity for people living alone and uh, people to stop people from feeling uh, isolated. Noel Grealish said he's, he's calling for a significant package for Republicans to remain viable at least until a vaccine has been found. So I, I don't know at this stage. I, 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 you'd love a crystal ball. I don't know what way this is going to go. Whether the pubs are going to open or not, but it will be Tuesday. Which is going to, again, if they do decide to open the pubs, is going to give publicans less than a week to get everything together. And this happened again back when they were due to reopen on the 20th of July. We were hearing from so many publicans saying, look, they're leaving it so late. We have orders have to be put in because, you know, if you if they want to open on the following Monday, then they need to get onto the breweries to get the beer, uh, etc. delivered. So it is a little bit unfair on the publicans, like giving them such short notice. But I suppose the government will say, look, we've got to wait to hear from Neffert. Neffert will say we have to hold out until the very last minute and and what happened yesterday with the 85 is a typical example of why they have to hold out for the very last minute and if God forbid something happens and this isn't a blip and we get similar or higher figures today Friday, tomorrow, Saturday, Sunday and Monday then I think we haven't a hope of the pubs or anything like phase four kicking in on the 10th of August. So as we've all been hearing it's down to everybody needs to uh, double down. But I do think Noel Noel Grealish has a point that what's happening at the moment because the pubs are not uh, opening we are seeing an increase in, in house parties and in house parties among younger people younger people by their nature need and want to uh, socialise and of course when they're all together there's no one controlling the amount of drink and I know I was reading a report in the paper about drink sales and they were showing how they were looking at like the, the amount of VAT the amount that the revenue collects from drink sales so they were able to work out nationwide how much drink has been sold I think it was only down by about 8% since the pubs had closed it wasn't a staggering uh, figure and that's because why people are instead accessing alcohol through off licences and in supermarkets etc and people are just drinking from home instead just because the pubs have closed it doesn't mean people 
fellow stopped drinking. 1850-333-103. Sadie and John Paul are taking your calls. If there's anything you want to share with us, we welcome your thoughts. Or you can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Your thoughts in morning, Patricia. I just went into a small local shop in West Cork. I was the only person out of six wearing a mask. It's just not good enough. People are forgetting again how serious it is can uh, be and we're still trying to find out thank you for that when does it become mandatory when can people when are people under threat of being fined for not wearing a mask we'll see again today if we can get a date on that but please do not let that stop you wearing the mask keep wearing the mask uh, yourself well done to you Hi Patricia I know of a family listen to this I know of a family who came back from Lanzarote on Tuesday no self-isolating they went straight back to work isn't that just incredible Uh, Hi, this COVID-19 is here to stay. People must pray more, says a a listener. And JP says, close down the off licences, stop the house uh, parties. Yeah, there's been a lot of calls for closing down off licences. But, you know, I always feel if you decide to close down the off licences, people will get drink. If people want and need to get drink, they'll still get it. So I don't know if that is the answer or not. James says, COVID-19 is on the up worldwide. We're seeing second waves all over uh, the place. And we're seeing countries like America. They never they've still haven't got a control on their first wave. Yet we still are allowing people to fly into this country from infected countries. I can't see the sense in that. And Tom in Rathcormac hopes that there will be a reopening of phase four and will all happen on the 10th of August and the pubs will reopen and he said they'll open the pubs will they ever open the dance halls as well 1850 333 103 Record today on C103 Call Patricia with your comment 1850 333 103 Now earlier in the week we spoke with Linda Comerford of the group Enough is Enough they'd organised a protest in Dublin against the government's failure to fully reopen day services for adults with disabilities. Now trying to push for the reopening of these services is Cork North West Door Deputy Michael Moynihan uh, who joins me. Good morning to you Michael. Good morning. Um, you're welcome. Now you held a meeting uh, also earlier this week at St Joseph's Foundation and you invited the Minister with Responsibility for Disabilities Anne Rabbit uh, to attend. How did that meeting go? We met on Tuesday morning early with the with the people from St Joseph's and they outlined the challenges that they have. They went through uh, the organisation. Uh, it was and we have a first visit to any of the uh, service providers and their facilities. And uh, you know, I, I think that official gum would have preferred if she didn't visit. Uh, but I think it was important that she got a real flavour of the challenges that are facing the service providers and the service users and their families. So we met and they outlined the challenges that they have, what they are trying to do to reopen the services, what the costings that they have put to the HSE. They also, very clearly, the 1% cut that was mentioned uh, and what that would affect the budget of St. Joseph's uh, on an annual basis. They mentioned that as well. And there was a general discussion around, you know, what needs to be done for the future and that, you know, I, I think the real issue was that the families and the service users, particularly the service users, are you know, feeling the not being engaging with the services and not being participating in what they had been their routine heretofore. After that meeting, I uh, met with some of the parents of uh, service users and we met, and that was a very detailed and frank discussion they were very. They outlined their each their uh, 
their own personal stories and indeed the stories of other service users and their families. And that meeting also had not alone just parents of people with St. Joseph's, but also parents of uh, people that were using the facilities in, in Cope. And that was gave us a very clear view of what needs to be done and the frustration that's out there. And two because, weeks ago, because people with disabilities, Michael, feel left behind while the rest of the country, uh, you know, is reopening or plans to, uh, to reopening. Uh, do, do you agree they have been left behind? I do. And two weeks ago, I was uh, the, the COVID committee was meeting with people with uh, the, the disability services and the disability organisations. And they were talking, you know, in abstract about what was happening. And I, I, I'm not on the COVID committee, but I looked for time on the COVID committee specifically to echo what you have just said. I wanted to put on record, and I, 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 you know, that they were forgotten and abandoned. And I didn't, and I don't use those language like, you know, willy-nilly. I was using that language because of the frustrations that people are feeling. And I do think that, you know, I outlined the concerns that we had in relation to the, uh, uh, the families being abandoned and service users being abandoned. And I, I, I understand that that was echoed at a meeting uh, with the, some of the service providers and families as well on Monday night. But I, I, I think that, you know, we had the July stimulus package and we have uh, the education, all hugely important roadmaps in terms of how Ireland is coming out of the pandemic. And please God, and I was listening to your earlier comments, please God that we are emerging from it and that we won't have to, you know, have more draconian measures that we are moving forward. But the point I'm making is that these people and their families are uh, the forgotten people in this whole uh, pandemic. And the point is that the service users, their mental health well-being, their physical well-being, their engagement is hugely, hugely brought forward, are hugely, hugely positive by engaging with the services. And some of the family members that we met on a Tuesday morning outlined, you know, that some of the service users had one or two hours with the services and that their that their family members were different people afterwards. You know, they had a purpose. They had a routine. They were getting up. They were going. You know, and Adam Rabbit put it very clearly as well about some other families that she was dealing with in her own area, where one of the service users clearly marked the next on the calendar each day that they, they attend the service users or the service providers, and that hasn't happened since the middle of March. We're now and and while it is and while it absolutely is all about the, the the person with the disability, Michael, we can't forget the family carers. Many of them absolutely at breaking point. Well, I have to say, and you know, I look at my inbox early this morning because I, I was reading Dublin overnight, and uh, I am travelling down this morning. But I was looking at you know, some people had contacted me, carers had contacted me with their own individual stories, and I know those stories personally. They are, they are absolutely fantastic people. And we don't acknowledge as a society what carers are contributing to the entire society and the well-being of society and indeed for the financial benefit of the state, how they are contributing. And they need a respite. They need a break as well. Over the last three, or four, three years in particular, 
that I was raising the issue continuously about respite care and about shared care and trying to get more funding for those for, for, for those facilities. And, you know, they are as important now as they were last January or last February or this time last year. And I do think, you know, going back to the meeting on, on Tuesday morning, after the meeting, uh, the and Rabbit, the minister, was heading back to Dublin and had a meeting with the HSE at half past three in the afternoon. And I was, you know, I, I was delighted that she had got firsthand that morning from not alone the service providers, but the families, the real frustration that's out there. And there tend to be from the HSE an almost, oh, we're, we're looking into this, we're going to do another report into it, and not immediate action taken. And that's what I fear is that there's, you know, that the, the HSE, the service provider, and then the families, you know, there has to be action taken. Uh, and I was delighted that I was, I was informed on Tuesday night that the proposed cut that was brought in last year will not here. And I was saying at least from of Tuesday's meetings, we got something positive in it. That's that, that's the one percent. But but additional 1%. funding, Michael, um, uh, is 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 needed. It, I mean, the the one percent is great, and and that's scra- the the cut of that uh, has been scrapped. Has got to be welcomed. But they need more money. They need more money. Look, they need huge amounts of money. You know, the challenges that are facing. You know, St Joseph's. I've spoken to about uh, numerous times in terms of the the insurance premium. Also, the voluntary organisations having to stay in where it all this year to have fundraisers because of the pandemic and because of any of the public events that have been cancelled. And they have, you know, they're very specific. But what was clearly outlined to us in Charleville on uh, Tuesday morning was to reopen the five-day services for five days a week right going into the future and they are committed to doing this, that the HSE and the government are going to have to step up to the pace and put money there, like they have done on all other sectors of society, like the July stimulus, like the schools reopening, and these people who deserve the facilities, they deserve the services, and their families do as well, they need to get more funding into it. And that was the discussion that was held on Tuesday, I understand, with the department at the HSE and the Minister for further funding and I am awaiting further discussions in relation to that. But and are, I, are you confident that that will happen, that the full five-day service, I know St. Joseph's Foundation have already written uh, to families saying it's going to be the end of August before they hope to reopen and at, the, at that it's going to be at the most, I would say, two days a week people are going to be offered. That is right. And, you know, some of the service users and their families said, if we got the two days in the interim, if we had the two days, at least it would be a start. And for the service users, it would be as something to look forward to, something to put into the routine. You know, it is vitally important that the, even if, as a minimal service, that that is up and running as soon as possible, the two-day services. But I think that we they have committed saying that they are working to getting the five days opened and all the other sectors are where our, the other service providers are saying to us that they want to get the five-day services. Transport is a huge issue. Transport and the cost of transport is a huge issue and providing transport in, in the socially distancing times that we're in. Uh, but the HSC has already told the service providers to talk to families and, and get the families to, to drop their 
And I and I would be saying, how can you expect, like, where is that coming from? How can you expect people, service users that are, you know, they're, maybe in their 40s or, uh, in some cases, older than that, and they have elderly parents and parents that have other commitments. Yeah, but it's the HSE saving money, isn't it, is pushing it? It is, yeah. The HSE, like, the disability services, right? The disability services over the last number of years, and like it isn't today or yesterday I started talking about this. I had on this for the last number of years. In any opportunity I've had, raising the issue that there needs to be further investment in it. And the one percent that they that there was talked about there on the board, do you know what that was actually classified as? An efficiency cut. Yeah. An efficiency cut in services. In the name of God, how could you look at the services that are being provided and the need for the services having efficiency costs, it is more money because they are walking on shoestrings and they are, you know, they have huge challenges to try and balance what they need and the demand for the services. And if you have proper services, you have more fulfillment from the service users. Some of the people in charge have told us about, you know, the, the, the service users looking for, you know, their routine for engagement with the staff in, in St. Joseph's looking for their, you know, all of that, their, their friends, their camaraderie, and they are looking for the, for that. But where, like, like all sectors, I said two weeks ago on the COVID committee, everybody else is getting extra funding in it. The disability services have been abandoned over the last while, and that is why I'm so strong in raising it at every forum I can. That's why we did minutes of the, the COVID committee. That's why I brought Anne Rabbit down to see firsthand so that she would be informed, not by the official dump, but by people that are directly okay. involved in the service. All right, a listener says, what about Cope and McCroom? The providers need more money and we, the families, are being told by Cope that it's all down to uh, funding. And I think every other service is saying the same thing. They need more funding, but the funding has to be, to what, directed to the HSE and then passed on? Uh, absolutely. Okay. And the HSE have to be very, like, they have to be very clear that they should be going at this as strong as possible. Thing. What funding is needed needs to be found. And, you know, Cope and McCroom, there are people that in, in both Mallow and McCroom families that have been on to me on a continuous basis. And I am working to try and get, uh, I suppose, awareness, first of all. You know, it was almost that they were forgotten. You know, it, 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 there were strategies and stuff talked about two weeks ago in relation to disabilities and white papers and everything going forward for the next 20 years. Nobody was talking about the here and now, mm. the actual reality on the 31st of July 2020 and what has happened over the last number of months and what is going to happen over the next number okay. of months. And, and just let, let's end on a, on a positive because the listener says just want to give the Holy Family School in uh, Charleville which is on the St. Joseph's Foundation campus a huge shout out for the excellent work they put in in July education. It was a huge success even with all of the restrictions. They made it a safe place for the children and it was absolutely brilliant. Thank you. I don't, there's no name on that but thank you uh, to that parent for that uh, sending that in. And before we let you go, Mike, something that you may be able to find out for us. Have you any idea when the regulations are going to be in place to, to make the wearing of face masks mandatory? Uh, well, we were trying to find that out very clearly yesterday and to get a date in it. I will endeavour to find that out this morning for you and come back to your Please program do. And, inform, and inform you. Please do. Possible.
All right, listen, okay. safe travels and uh, thank okay. you for joining us on the programme this morning. Okay. Uh, good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is uh, Cork North West Hall Deputy Michael Moynihan. Cork Today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 86 103 Now, it was back in 2017 that West Cork Hall Deputy Michael Collins started to organise a bus that would take local people to Belfast to undergo cataract operations. The patients pay up front and then they get their money back under the cross-border directive on healthcare scheme. Well, this evening another bus will make that journey. And with all of the details uh, Deputy Michael Collins. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning, Patricia. Belfast are blind bus number 54. Can't believe it's uh, number 54. I take it you had to suspend all of these uh, buses during lockdown? Unfortunately, yeah, there has been no bus since uh, Patricia since February. Since um, February, all right. Since February, yeah, since a long time. Uh, a long time for somebody to wait to to regain their full eyesight. And in that time, I've been told that some people have lost the sight of one eye. Ah. Uh, unfortunately, because, you know, when they, when it, when they, the sight starts going down, it, 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 it goes down rapidly. And uh, unfortunately, we just couldn't uh, run a bus. And we've been working with Belf- uh, King's Richard Private Hospital in Belfast to try and see can we get this up and running again because of the, the, the swabbing situation, because no patient is allowed into the hospital unless they're swabbed and cleared of, of the COVID-19. And um, we, we came up with um, uh, the system and it hopefully will work. And tonight, uh, the, the bus is leaving. Um, because uh, it normally early. leaves early on a Saturday morning, but there's you've different regulations and guidelines, I take it, to follow. Everything is uh, different now. So first of all, they were all COVID tested yesterday. Um, and, and quite a number of them in my own constituency office in Benden. Um, uh, I haven't spoken to all of them this morning, but some of them have been notified already. They're COVID, uh, COVID-free, and I'm pretty sure all of them are. But uh, can I just can I just ask you something on that? Because I saw on on your Facebook p- uh, page that it was uh, a nurse, Nurse Jessica, travelled down from Belfast in order to do the COVID nineteen tests. Could those tests not have been done to save her making that journey? Could they not have been done locally? I do no problem whatsoever in getting a COVID test result. I can hand the swab to the laboratory in Benin and 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 um, animal health laboratory, but I can't get anybody to do the swab. It's in it's a complete disaster because I've had numerous people who are quite healthy but have to travel to certain parts of the country where swabbing is required or pre-testing is required, and I can't seem to get the, any any of those people swabbed. It looks to me as the only the only way you're going to get swabbed. And sorry, a lot of these people are quite willing to pay. They've no issue about the payment. They just want to get a uh, swab for COVID nineteen and get a certificate that they're COVID free. And then they it just it just seemed job. bizarre that a nurse had to travel from Belfast. Anyway, that's just an aside. So it was dumb. They've all been COVID uh, tested. So they so the change is they go up now this evening instead of early tomorrow morning. They go up on the Friday evening. They do. Um, they're leaving tonight around uh, two o'clock. They'll be in Cork around three. We'll have the people from different areas from Groom back into uh, down into West Cork at. tomorrow morning three o'clock and they head up from there. No, the bus has to be sanitised three times on its way to Belfast. So people will be, they'll be stopping in different exits. This is what's holding up the whole procedure, you know, making it a bit more difficult to search. Um, and, and, and the bus will be clean and then people can re-enter again after so much time. And they'll, they'll wear masks and all of that. They'll be wearing masks. And then when yeah. they get to Belfast, they, um, when they get to Belfast, instead of going straight to, uh, to Kingsbridge Private Hospital, they must go to the Europa Hotel where the taxis will bring um, the people individually for their consultation this tomorrow and then uh, take them back home individually or back sorry, to the hotel individually and then bring them back the following day uh, to the hospital so it's a, kind of a costly and a little bit more difficulties but still uh, speaking to people they're 
quite happy as well. Oh, listen, listen, if it's the difference between going blind, well, they'll they'll, they'll go to whatever lengths. How many in total will make the journey? Unfortunately, we can only take 12 this time. Um, and I've been looking for uh, further extra dates uh, from, from Kingsbridge and uh, we're working on that. I was hoping that we could get at least maybe two more in August, but uh, that might be beyond us. Uh, but at least we, we, we're starting, the move is started today, efforts tonight, and, and, and hopefully from there, but there's 12 patients going up to the end of the Do you now have a waiting list for people who want to get on the bus? Massive, massive waiting oh. list. Now, we have been dealing with people in relation to hips and knees and and to name them up uh, individually because uh, all along they were able to go ahead with those procedures. But in relation to cataract, this is the first time I have a, a huge waiting list uh, for for cataract, and it's it's exploded, it's exploded, and um and and uh, you know even there's somebody else now we talked to last night, Councillor Ben Dalton O'Sullivan, who was running buses as well, and he's trying his best to get dates, and like I think we're going to have to work together because uh, we got to look after people, and he has the same situation. People desperately need to go. And with so many ho- so many hospital operations cancelled uh, here all over the country due due to COVID nineteen, waiting lists for cataracts must be just gone off the Richter scale almost. It is, and it's extremely frustrating. And the bottom line is, people gone blind, and there's nothing worse than a person. There's an eighty five year old travelling out tonight, um, and look, he'd be. He desperately needs his, his cataract, but I, as I said, I have people know on the wait. People know on the wait list. They've told me they're blind in one eye, and 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 obviously we're looking now to save the second eye. And and the list is, you know, I'm becoming the uh, the the, the I would say the masters. I'm basically I'm, I have a list here saying urgent, you know, maybe not urgent. So I'm trying to on the on the telephone conversation tease out with the person how bad is their eyesight because the unfortunate hold up, you know, has led to me picking and choosing who can and who can't go, which isn't fair, but it's the only. The only way it, it, it can work at the moment, and because of the fact that we only take twelve, the fact that last year I think we were going one a week um, during the summer because the summer dog break it gave me more time to concentrate on it. Now we're in a situation where I'm I, I'm pleading for more dates, um, and, and I'm awaiting that for the last three days now from things which give me more dates, which I'd hope maybe by today I'd have i have. But for now, it started, and that's that's the biggest blessing area. And when you say twelve, the twelve are travelling. Are they bringing a, a, a family member with them? Yeah, that's one of the oh. things we do. In oh, that's that great. That's great. Somebody with him I just I want to, that 85-year-old man, I want to make sure he's got somebody with him. So, uh, yeah, so, 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 so he does. And have you, Michael, kept in contact with the people who've made the journey and the other 53 buses o- over the years? Have you kept in contact to see how they're all getting on? I have. Not, a, not all of them. Um, I have all their, their names and their numbers. Um, I, sadly, there was a Mr. Higgins there, uh, Johnny Higgins, who passed away, and I was involved with his funeral in 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 in, in um, Douglas in, in Cork. There uh, about maybe just maybe maybe till January, I think. I'm not sure exact date, but I, I, he was a lovely, lovely man. He went up for uh, two, two cataract operations, and he was so cheerful and so happy and seeing to everybody. I said to him when he got off the bus after the second uh, uh, cataract, "We don't have you third eye, Johnny. Character, they love you." But he passed away since uh, lovable man, and uh, you know that. that but the difference, that but the difference, those two operations would have made to that man in his final years. You oh, can't, you couldn't even quantify the difference it would have made. It is, yeah. And his family contacted me since, like, and they said, like that. That was a joy for him because he was an extremely busy man. He used to do meals and wheels. He used to look after his local church, and they said once the cataracts were done full on again, back to work, 
he's happy, couldn't be happier. And you know, he whatever. He, sadly, his his life wasn't uh, had a very lengthy uh, life after after the operation. But he certainly knocked a year and a half out of it, and with 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 uh, joy. And the, the family were greatly relieved. I think they got a surprise when I when I arrived on the belt. Somebody tipped me off. They said, you know, there's one of the first uh, people to go up. Such a man who didn't. I said, right, I'm glad I feel if I can. But like, you know, I just had to keep uh, to with everyone who goes up there. But still, you'd have people coming back saying. Do you remember I got the cataract? No, my hip was in trouble, and uh, you know. But the difference, goes. the difference it makes to somebody's life. I mean, I think it's everybody's dread—the thought that you would lose your eyesight, and to lose your sight for something that is a relatively simple procedure. Yeah, and we've been trying to get that point across. Why can't that be done, Bantry, Nano, and, and, and Cork? And that's there's, there's no reason why it can't be done. And I've looked at other models in, in Europe. There is no fancy setups at all. It's a basic, clean room, fully equipped, and uh, with 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 staff. And that's all it's needed. And that seems to be beyond the the powers of be at this for the last number of years. And in relation to cataract, we're not talking about open heart surgery. We're talking about cataract procedures, fifteen, twenty minutes, and 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 a person has their sight back. And to, and by someday, please God, twelve more people have, will have regained full sight of their eye that they may not have seen as good as maybe for thirty, forty years before. And, and the incredible feeling uh, top of do- those that have this operation done is, is phenomenal. But we do, um, it's, 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 it's shockingly disrespectful. I think it's because it's the elder generation. They haven't got that, that fight in them. Uh, but I tell you one thing, they do fully appreciate regaining their sight and going to the effort like the 85-year-old man tonight. I know there's along that bracket of that age. Uh, they'll go to that extreme effort. Anything so they can have their license and have their own little privacy and their own little private life. And it's a small team to ask and a small team to give and it's been refused them by the state at this present time. Okay, well, we didn't want to let the, the tonight's journey pass without having you on and to pass on our best wishes to all of the 12 who are making that. What well, is a long, long journey uh, to uh, Belfast and let them get up there and get back safe and sound and a very successful operation to each and every one of them. Michael, thank you for that. And thank uh, thanks uh, for joining us on the programme. That is uh, West Cork Door Dole Deputy Michael Collins in advance of the Belfast or Blind bus, as many people refer, refer to the 50 fourth one uh, heading to Belfast tonight. This is Court Today. Court Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. Court's greatest hits C103 Happy 11th birthday to Jamie Logan and that's from his nana in Kanturk. I don't know where you are Jamie whether you're in Kanturk or not but your nana in Kanturk is thinking of you today and wants to wish you a happy birthday at Jamie Logan. And Marymount Hospice has been in contact with us to say they're working with the Gardaí in relation to fraudulent door-to-door collections in the name of Marymount. Uh, please be advised uh, Marymount tell us that they do not conduct door-to-door collections but what they're asking of people if you receive a visit to your door you open the door somebody there saying hi we're collecting for Marymount uh, Hospice obviously do not engage do not give them any money they're asking you to please immediately report it to your local Gardaí but Marymount are also saying if you could give them a call on 021 4501201 I'm assuming they're trying to track the, where these collectors are and how many are actually involved uh, with it. So beware of that. And if in recent days or weeks somebody has called to your door, 
saying that they're collecting for Marymount would you please contact uh, Marymount Hospice uh, and the Gardaí uh, please but uh, keep a lookout for that and actually Cathy was on to say she received a call from a 004420 number now she was cute enough not to answer it but she got a family member to look it up and it turned out to be one of those scam uh, callers so please be careful scam callers are certainly out and about some of your texts coming in John said there should be more doll deputies like Michael Collins who you spoke with in the last hour what a good man he is for the uh, people on the reopening of pubs somebody said no pubs should open until a vaccine is found what is wrong with people do they all want to be in lockdown again wake up government says this texter but I'm, I'm assuming that they also mean wake up people because definitely everybody wants to move on to phase four because we're trying our best to get back to as much normality as possible and people want to move forward if everything if everything is right and correct and the numbers uh, are down but certainly I think the worst thing at all, of all whatever about a watered down version of phase four that would be bad enough I think what would be totally soul destroying for everyone is if we had to go backwards which is what um, Dr Gillian de Gascoigne was saying during Killian de Gascoigne was saying during the week he was suggesting that if figures started to rise and this is before we had the number of 85 cases yesterday but he was saying if figures started to go up and numbers started to go up day on day and they were starting to track a trend that looked like it was very much out in the community and that it was being passed on. He was saying, look, there's no hope that we would move forward to phase four. But he was saying what could possibly happen is we would move back to phase two. And back to phase two was the phase where we were not allowed to travel beyond 20 kilometres from our home. And a lot of people found that really, really restrictive. You know, initially, remember, we we were allowed to two kilometres from our home, then it went to five kilometres. And that was more to do with exercise. You know, that was during, during the big lockdown. But then we got to the 20 uh, kilometres but then suddenly we were allowed to travel remember anywhere within our county and then we were eventually allowed to travel outside of our county it would be dreadful if we had to go back to being limited to just 20 kilometres of our home because it would cause a lot of problems for people who have already booked and are planning on doing a staycation in August and maybe into September and people are planning on going on holidays in this wonderful country that we have but of course they're going to holiday further than 20 kilometres from their home so it would cause a lot of problems for people and the knock-on obviously then would be people having to cancel holidays here in Ireland. People have already come to terms with cancelling holidays abroad but could you imagine if we were told well you're going to have to cancel any holiday you have in Ireland because you're not allowed to travel beyond 20 kilometres so everybody with the where they're telling us all to double down and to all the usual things that we've always been told about the good hand uh, hygiene and uh, social distancing um, and the wearing of the masks now is becoming uh, a big issue as well. As Patricia says somebody whilst the non-wearing of masks seems to be greatly annoying some people I do hope the wearing of masks isn't giving people a false sense of security I live in a busy holiday spot and some mask wearers are more arrogant than ever before they seem to be all over the place with no social distancing masks are no masks yeah and we're all told to wear masks but we need to keep up we certainly need to keep up with the social distancing as well and you know I suppose some people are are stupidly probably believing that a mask is going to make them invincible I'm not going to pick up the 
COVID-19 if I have a mask but we all know we wear a mask to protect other people and you were there in the hope that the other person that you meet with is also wearing a mask and then you still try to maintain that two metre uh, social uh, distancing. Meg says well, what, what part of a pandemic does this government not get? Why can't they stagger holidays and get on with the jobs that realistically they only started a few weeks uh, ago and stay in the doll and clear all of the backlogs, says Meg. And I know there's a number of people are a bit annoyed about the fact that the doll has gone into recess. They went into recess. They had, they worked through until the small hours of the morning last night. It seemed to be quite fractious at times, some of the discussions that went on, but yet they are now on holidays. Another listener says, Patricia, politicians should be considered should be considering reducing their 16-week annual summer holiday. Well, they're not on a 16-week annual summer holiday. It should be 10 weeks they take off for the summer, but they've reduced that to six. Anyway, some people are saying six weeks is even too long. This listener says, due to the unusual circumstances being experienced at the moment, they shouldn't be considering holidays at all. On average, civil service employees are only allocated three to four weeks holidays annually. Maybe it's time for the government to adopt reduced time off as 16 weeks annual leave seems very excessive. And I don't, Yeah, OK, I don't know why I mentioned the 16 weeks because I, I don't know how many weeks they have in total. But anyway, I know the point you're making that politicians are taking too much time off. But politicians themselves will, will say that while the doll isn't sitting, that doesn't mean we're not working. They will all work throughout this holiday period from, from the doll. That's the answer that you always, always get back. But I can see a number of people saying there's so much needs to be done, so much legislation needs to be passed. And of course, that's the one thing that can't be done when the doll isn't sitting. They can't pass legislation. And that's what I'm sort of worried about. Do they need to pass legislation in order to make masks mandatory? Because people are not going to wear masks until they are under, th- until they feel there is a danger that somebody is going to tap them on the shoulder and say to them, you're going to be fine because you're not wearing a mask. Now, I asked Michael Moynihan, he said he will look into it for us and see if he can, he can get back because my gut instinct tells me if the doll isn't sitting, then we're not, they're not going to be able, that's, if that is a piece of legislation, they're not going to be able, able to pass it while the doll is not sitting, which if that's the case, if my line of thinking is correct, that will mean it's going to be six weeks before the doll comes back, which is going to bring us into mid-September before the doll will sit again. And it will it be six weeks until that legislation is passed, which seems it seems uh, um, too long when we know that the science is there telling us that we all need to wear masks. For the rest of us, though, there will be a, a cohort of people who will wait until the fines come in. For the rest of us, though, I can't stop emphasising enough. We just need to keep wearing the masks. Please, please, please keep wearing the masks. Our politicians holidaying in Ireland, says another listener. I doubt it. It'll be one rule for them and one rule for others. They'll be. I, I would be very very surprised texter to see any member of Dáil Éireann decide that they're going to go off outside the country on holidays. I could be wrong but I would be very surprised if any of them go abroad I'd say it'll all be staycationing. Uh, Willie is in Glanmire on this very same theme. Uh, good morning to you Willie. Good morning Patricia. Uh, you're, uh, you think they're out of touch with reality? Oh God I don't know how in the name of God they can go off on six or seven weeks holidays. It's like the captain abandoning the ship when it's thinking and saying to hell with the passengers. But they Why? will they will tell you Willie that they work as hard when they're not sitting in the doll. But they're they're elected to the doll. You see and, and there's legislation to be passed they've left the, the mass thing hanging in midair. Yeah. I yeah. mean that's total incompetence. 
And I know I mean, they tried to it's rush not through. Even ordinary expect from me, Han Martin, honest to God. You know, we're going to be in over a, a lousy two years. I've no, I've no political allegiance to any party. But that, that man that's Timothy, he abolished the health boards and only made a big mess, lumped them all together. What more can we expect? He did bring... It's shocking. Yeah. He's the leader of the country. They should be sitting in the doll and, and, and trying to give us a bit of confidence that we have a competent government. Well, I suppose what is annoying a number of people is the fact that they're not very long... The government isn't very long there. No. Yeah, I mean, uh, what... Why in the middle of a crisis? How can they do it? How brass-nicked are they? Or stupid? I don't know what you call it. Well, I just, it's but they, they were to take 10 weeks and they're only taking six. I know, Patricia. Look, we're <laughs> in the middle of a crisis. I know, there's, I know. Yeah, I mean, what? You know, there's people out there trying to run businesses and, and, and paying their taxes and to their taxes that are... are, are are paying this government and look they, first of all they looked after their salaries before they went off they they, they, they took a, a cut in their pay but sure, watch watch the the, the, the allowances now and the, I mean they have an all expenses paid job so they need to take a cut but then it's not going to affect their pensions mm. again that's more brass nicks. I mean if nurses got pay cuts their, their pensions weren't estimated on what, what they were earning before the cut I mean, they mm. always put it in favour of themselves, discrimination in favour of the politicians. But you're, 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 so you feel, green. and there is enough legislation that needs to be passed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, They're and so that doesn't, silly. yeah, it doesn't get passed. I mean, I, the other one we need to check, and, and I know it's a small one, but it affects a, a lot of people, was in the budget in October, they made a decision to reduce the prescription charge. That's right, charges yeah. for old age pensioners going from 150 down to a euro per item and for everybody else it was going from 2 euro down to 150 that was meant to come in on the 1st of July but because the Minister of Health wasn't there to sign it off and then he did just for whatever reason didn't get around to it and I wonder let's see if we can check I wonder did he get around to it before he went off on holidays and, and the same thing that, that the over 70s that, that their, their sort of uh, allowance that was increased as well so that you could claim you know, a medical card. Mm. That was to come in on the 1st of July as well. And it didn't? I don't, I don't think so, no. Yeah, I don't, it's probably yeah. all part I mean, of the same piece of legislation that has to be signed off. Yeah. I just begin to wonder what happens. I mean, Michal Martin is institutional. He's there too long. They get inside the gates and into the house. They seem to forget about the real world. Yeah, but there's, and, there's and the th- in people. fairness, and, and I'm not here to defend Michal Martin, but there's three parties involved. Fine Gael and, and, and the Greens are there. He is the leader. And whereas the opposition as well, they're not going to shouting, you know, Matthew McGrath and, and the Heidi Rays will be shouting blue blazes about other things, but they're not shouting over oh, this at all because they're off on their holidays. Yeah, I didn't hear they're any... Actually, of, that's a good point. I didn't hear anyone from the opposition no. say, hang on now, a tick. Do we really need yeah. to be taking six weeks' holidays here? They're a crowd of hypocrites. A greedy, greedy, greedy. That's all the politicians have become now. I've watched it. I'm nearly 80 years on this planet. And I've watched them getting greedier and greedier by the day and by the year. Since Charlie Hush's time, and it's all, they've all become infected now with greed. I'm disgusted with them. Okay, and how are you, how are you coping with the whole, and the I, whole thing? I, I remember saying it to, to, to Darren Murphy a good few years ago. I, I said, you're the highest paid politicians in the EU per capita population, despite the fact that they keep telling us we're a small nation and a small economy. And I said... Some politician kind of phrase 
if we pay peanuts, we get monkeys. All we are getting is breastneck monkeys. And he was indignant. He jumped up out of his chair and, oh, you caught me a breastneck monkey. Unfortunately, he proved me right. The breastneck monkey that he was when, he, when it came to dining on the doll. There's a number of people agreeing with you, including Fidel May McCroom says, totally agree with Willie in what he is saying. They've just, we've all just, including them, have come back from lockdown and now they're on holidays in the middle of this crisis. Yeah. It is like me going off on holidays and leaving three or four kids on their own catering for themselves and the money they're also on. Yeah. It is we, a scandal. We, we had the example there of the Australian Prime Minister going off on holidays in the middle of the fire setting. They were all up in arms they about were, that they were, yeah. I mean, the old fellas are doing nothing but the same. Yeah, all right. They should okay. be bloody well put up against the wall and shot. Oh, <laughs> you not. can't say that. You can't say that. You can't I, say that. But I, anyway, I, anyway, I know the point. I you're you're uh, angry about it. You're angry I'm about it. I'm very angry, and I said there's a lot of other angry people. Yeah, there are. Well, I can the see by I can see by the texts and calls coming in. Listen, Willie, you mind yourself. Uh, all right. Take care. <laughs> go go have a nice cup of tea now and calm down. <laughs> I'm looking after the blood pressure. Mind yourself. Take care. God bless. That is uh, Willie in Glanmire, 1850-333-103. And I can see a lot of people agreeing with Willie. A lot of people just cannot believe that the government have decided to take uh, six weeks uh, off. OK, just on some other issues. Uh, this is in from Bus Aaron on Monday, next the 3rd of August. The bus stop in Baltimore, in Cor- Baltimore near the pier will be closed. Route 237 service will terminate at the community hall instead. This is due to heavy traffic in the area for the bank holiday. Okay, so I'm assuming that's just for the day that's in it for next Monday. The Baltimore bus uh, will terminate at the community hall and not at the bus stop on the pier. 1850 333 103. C103 Jobs. Aragon Nursing Home, that's in Bohabui. They are recruiting a part time maintenance person and they're also looking for a full time healthcare assistant. General Operative wanted. For GP Wood, that's in any scheme, positions available on their daytime, evening and weekend shifts. School bus driver required for the Bandon and Kinsale area. And St Joseph's Daycare Centre in Rathmore, they've got a vacancy for a care assistant through their CE scheme. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork Today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Thank you. A lot of people contacting us to say that they agree 100% with uh, Willie, including uh, Bob in Bantry, Mary is in McCroom, Tim is in Yall, and uh, Barbara is in Carrigaline, all agreeing with uh, Willie. And somebody, when Willie mentioned nurses, said retired nurses and HSC staff didn't get a rise in their pensions. That's been going on for 10 years says a texter. 1850-333-103. Now moving to a completely different issue because new bylaws will be introduced in a large number of estates from September the 25th, cutting speeding li- limits in those housing estates to 30 kilometres per hour. But how will these new reduced speed limits be enforced? Fianna Fáil Councillor Seamus McGrath has long campaigned to have safety measures uh, implemented and he joins me. Good morning to you, Seamus. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, and, and you're welcome do you have concerns about enforcements? You can reduce the speed, but if it's not enforced, is it simply a waste of time? Yeah, um, I certainly do have uh, concerns in relation to the enforcement side of it, Patricia. I suppose these 
These bylaws are a continuation of bylaws that were implemented and introduced, we'll say, a couple of years ago. So there were a certain number of estates on a pilot basis um, uh, had the 30 kilometre special speed limit introduced, uh, but probably over two years ago, I would say. And at the time, we, we said, look, it's fine, introduce them. It sends out a very important message in terms of the need to be safe within residential estates, um, but it does have to be reviewed and we do have to assess the impact and the effectiveness and so on like that. So at our council meeting last Monday, um, there was a further rollout of um, the introduction of these special speed limits. So there was a further list of estates added to the to the existing list that were there from the pilot uh, scheme. Um, and that's fine. I welcome it, 100% welcome it, because we do need to send out a very powerful message in relation to the need to be careful to drive at an appropriate speed um, within residential estates. And the 30 kilometres per hour is a special speed limit to, to send out that message. But the point I and other councillors made last Monday was we haven't really carried out an assessment of how effective it has been in relation to the pilot scheme. We haven't done, for example, proper speed service to see has it actually resulted in a reduction in speed, speeding within the states. And in my opinion, there has been virtually no enforcement. Um, I asked that question on Monday. I didn't get an answer directly. I was told um, they would revert to me on that. But I asked the question, has anyone actually been uh, has, has anyone actually been detected in relation to exceeding the speed limit, the special speed limit? My own view on that is I don't think that has happened. So um, we don't know, therefore, if the pilot scheme worked. We don't, and that was the point I made. The effectiveness of it hasn't been assessed. Now, look, I, I welcome it because it does send out a message yeah. that's important and you're putting additional but, but, By the way, up. when we're saying reduce the speed limit to 30 kilometres, when, when I was reading up on this first, I was thinking, like, this is like a no-brainer. What is the speed limit in housing estates? So the speed... The, the lowest speed limit in terms of public roads is 50 kilometres per hour and that, wow. and, that, and that applied in residential estates the same as it applied through villages through towns etc um, so that is the lowest speed limit but so what we did in Cork County Council and other local authorities across the country they implemented special bylaws to reduce the speed down to 30 kilometres per hour and it is it is very welcome and it's something we all supported but what we're saying is we need for it to work in a more effective way and I know a number of estates in my own town in Car- line where it is introduced um, and to be perfectly honest I think if you asked a number of residents or people that use those estate, state roads are they aware there's a reduced speed limit I think many may not even be aware of it So, Because it, what, what exactly would happen I'm assuming signage goes up is it? Signage go yes yeah. so signage will go up at all the entry points into the estate um, and in fairness quite quite substantial signage and, and it is there but unfortunately Patricia as we know signage becomes part of the furniture after a while and people yeah. don't necessarily take notice of it so the point we made is number one we do have to have a certain level of activity in relation to enforcement and very often the speed limit needs to be accompanied by physical traffic calming measures such as speed ramps uh, speed tables and so on like that um, and we feel as councillors um, and this was the debate that took place on Monday that yes introducing them is good but we need to accompany it by further action in relation to as I say enforcement and physical traffic calming measures I mean measures. traffic calming measures speed ramps speed bumps they work they do work, and I have to say, Patricia, look, as a, as a public representative, and I know it applies in other cases as well, we are inundated with um, constituents complaining about speed, um, whether it be on estate roads, whether it be in urban settings or rural settings in terms of local roads that are you know, used by commuters and so on like that. Speed is a huge issue, and it comes to us very, very often. Only in the last couple of weeks, I've had a dozen cases of people referring speeding complaints to me. And... and it's very difficult because there isn't anything we can do 
uh, immediately to resolve those issues. You know, obviously you can contact the Gardaí in relation to enforcement and ask them can they have a presence in a particular location. You can ask the council can they consider additional signage and so on. But with the best, best will in the world, the resources aren't there to have speed ramps every 50 metres on every road. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just not practical. Are they, are they very costly, James? They are. They are. They are. They? I mean, they look. They range from something like 1,500 to 2,500, depending wow. on the width of the road and so on like that. And if they're to be done in accordance with specifications and, and all of that. But look, with the best will in the world, the resources are simply not there to respond to all of those demands. So we have to, and I welcome this debate this morning, because we have to send out the message that speed kills and speed is something that we have to address as a society. There has to be a societal response to this, I think, that it's not acceptable. You have to drive appropriately. You have to drive responsibly. You're only one little mistake away from a serious incident, from a possible fatality. Um, You're driving a lethal weapon, a large, heavy machine, and people have to be mindful of, you know, an error of judgment on your part, on another driver's part, can result in a serious incident. So caution and reducing speed is so vital and that message has to be delivered because with the best will in the world you're never going to be able to provide the physical conditions that you can speed on a given road if you know what I mean mm. I mean I, I, I have witnessed a state where there are speed ramps and even between the speed ramps you'll see cars trying to speed uh, you know it's just it's just I and think you know we're in, this, we're in the summer months I mean, you wouldn't think so with the, with the weather out there but you know you, particularly when you're in a housing estate you never know when a child is going to run out from behind a car you never know. And um, I have two small children myself and, you know, I live in a housing estate and we don't have speed ramps on our road, for example, but obviously you, you, you exercise as much caution as you can as a parent. Um, but it's vitally important that drivers take on board that a child can run out behind the car. Very often you have estates that are congested in relation to parked cars. You know, there, there are blind spots. Um, you won't see some child running out of a drive or something like that. And it can, we all know as parents it can happen in a split second. No matter how cautious you are, no matter how careful you are, it really can happen in a split yeah. second. Yeah. Um, we all get distracted, life goes on, and, you know, it only takes one split second. So it, it really, the, the reduce, re, reduced speed limit is important, and it's something I personally would like to see rolled out in not just residential estates, but in core urban areas too, for example, on main streets and so on like that. I think it's important, um, but it does have to be accompanied by enforcement. I suppose that is the essential message. Okay, Barbara says, well done to the council on this. What housing estates have been selected? Well, there's a large list. Um, I don't have it in front are of me. Are they com- they're completely across the county, are they? Yes, they're yeah. across all municipal districts. Right. Yes, across the county. Okay. In my own municipal district, I think there's about an additional eight estates that have been added. So it would add up to several dozen estates across the county. Um, but as I say, this is building on a pilot scheme which was introduced a number of years ago where there were several dozen estates included in that as well. Um, there has been calls that there would be a blanket approach taken here in terms of introducing this reduced speed limit across all residential estates. Um, but there are issues there in terms of introducing special bylaws. You have to actually physically map the ground and so on like that. So the, there, there are issues there that need to be overcome. Um, and in addition to that, it would be a major issue in terms of putting up the required signage and so on like that. Um, but look, it is it is something we want to see rolled out further because I think it is more than enough um, of a speed limit to have okay. a, a 30 kilometre speed okay. limit. And, is, is, and you know well done to you because as I said at the outset you have campaigned on this and on and, and safety measures for, for quite some time. And just James well, I have you on the line because I was reading in I think it was in the Echo uh, this week Cork County Council's litter wardens could be asked to work weekends especially at beaches and uh, beauty spots. Do we need to tackle this problem? We Usually on a Monday if it's uh, if it's been a very fine weekend we'll have people complaining about overflowing bins or insufficient bins particularly yeah. 
in busy tourist spots. Does, does that really need to be looked at? It does, um, and that, that article came about from a debate we had at one of our divisional meetings. Um, look, we have been fortunate enough to have some good weather in the last few weeks, and unfortunately, it does result in beaches and, and other areas of attraction uh, becoming strewn with litter and it becoming a major issue. And I suppose the point I made is, yes, we need to look at this in the round, we need to look at things like bins, and we need to look at all of these things, but... You know, these beaches are at their busiest in the weekends when people are off and, and, you know, they're off colleges, they're off work and so on like that. Um, We need to have a presence on the ground. And again, it comes back to the enforcement issue. Um, We need to have a presence on the ground when the beaches are at their busiest so that it isn't the case that you you have a beautiful Saturday, for example, the beaches get left with a load of rubbish and it's left to locals and community groups to try and clean that beach up over a Sunday or whatever. And that's what's happening on the ground. Community groups are putting in huge effort. Thank God for those community groups. I absolutely look, and as you know, I was mayor of the county a couple of years ago and I said I said it at the time, without these community groups uh, filling the gap, I suppose, in many respects in terms of what the council is able to do resource-wise, um, we really would be a different county without those community groups. So again, absolutely pay tribute to them for all the effort they make. But as a council, we do need to do more. We need We need to do better. And I think... You know, litter wardens, I think certainly examination needs to be um, undertaken in terms of the hours they work and, you know, in consultation with unions and so on like that, obviously, and try to get a situation where we have a presence on the ground outside of weekdays. And in the meantime, just to remind people, if you are heading to the beach or any beauty spot this weekend and you bring items with you, you bring the items with you in a bag, can you bring your leftovers back home with you in the bag? And we wouldn't be having this discussion at all. Listen, Seamus, thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Thank you, Patricia. Good morning. Morning to you. Bye bye. That is uh, Fianna Fáil councillor um, from Carrigaline, Seamus McGrath. 1850 John Paul and Sadie are taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 0862 And today we remember 18 people who lost their lives in the Butterfield train crash and the more than 70 who were injured. The Butterfield train crash was one of the worst rail accidents to happen in this uh, country and in a report I'm just about to play it appears at that stage that 15 people were killed in the derailment. The accident occurred when the 10 o'clock train travelling from Dublin to Cork derailed at approximately 1 o'clock. It was on the afternoon of the 1st of August 1980. The train was travelling at a speed of 70 miles per hour and it was carrying 230 passengers and this is how the news broke on that day on the RTE News in 1980. The 10 o'clock train from Dublin to Cork was derailed at Butterfield Station at about 1 o'clock this afternoon. Estimates of the number of people killed and injured in the derailment varied throughout the day as rescue efforts continued at the scene of the crash. Andrew Kelly reports. It's now certain that 15 people have died in the crash but the final death toll could be 17. 39 people have been injured and these were taken by helicopter and a fleet of ambulances to the county hospital in Mallow and Cork Regional Hospital. The names of nine of the injured, now in Cork Regional Hospital, have been released. They are Winifred Marr, McDonough Terrace, Templemore, County Tipperary, Amanda, Gillian and Andrew Pitts of Tewkesbury in England, Sister Antonius Ryan of Loretta Convent, Balbriggan, County Dublin, Bernard Ferris, Barrack Street, Bancha, County Tipperary, Dennis Dauber of New Mexico, USA. 
How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Bridget Coleman, Castlemore, County Limerick, and Elizabeth Butler of Griffith Avenue in Dublin. CIE have set up emergency telephone numbers at Dublin 745-922 and 742-941. That's Dublin 745-922 and 742-941. And at Cork 503399. That's Cork, area code 021-503399. Information offices have also been opened at Mallow County and Cork Regional Hospitals. The last major CIE train crash was at Cane Bridge, Gorey County, Wexford in December 1975 when five people were killed and 43 injured. And last November, 35 people were injured in a crash at Dawkey, County Dublin. Now, from the scene of today's crash, here's Michael Walsh. The accident happened around 1 o'clock this afternoon as the Dublin-Cork train passed through Butterfant, County Cork. What exactly went wrong in Butterfant is not yet clear, but it appears that a number of carriages immediately behind the engine left the track and jackknifed into a ballast train standing in the station. Eyewitnesses said the train appeared to wobble going into the station. Emergency services quickly went into action under the overall direction of Superintendent Paddy Power, Union Key. Ambulances and fire engines from many parts of the county were rushed to the scene and emergency heavy lifting gear was called in. All through the afternoon, the grim task of removing the dead from the tangled wreckage went on. Many of the bodies were badly mutilated. Rescue crews are understood to be still attempting to extricate two bodies from the wreckage. 
CIE chairman Liam Sinchin Devlin was quickly on the scene this afternoon and he's promised that CIE will conduct a full inquiry. Michael Walsh, RT News, Butterfant, County Cork. And that was how RTE reported on the disaster this weekend 40 years ago. Our regional reporter in Butterfant is Mary O'Donoghue and she joins me to share her memories of what was a very tragic day. Good morning to you, Mary. Good morning. Mary, firstly, is it hard to believe that it's actually 40 years ago tomorrow? It's hard to believe. And we had a beautiful ceremony in Butterfant Church this morning where we lit 18 candles to remember the 18 who lost their lives. And we also remembered the late, great June White, who was instrumental in setting up a very commemorative uh, celebration at the 25th anniversary of, of what happened in Bushman. Yeah, I remember that 15 years ago. Um, take me back, though, to 40 years ago, uh, Mary. When did you first hear that something had happened and something had gone wrong at the train station? Yeah, it was an hour, around lunchtime. It was the most beautiful day. And I was in the garden with the children and I could hear ambulances going through the town. Now, that's not unusual. Some, you would hear an ambulance now and again. But it continued and I thought, my goodness, there must be something seriously wrong somewhere. So it was a while before it came through that the crash had happened. And did people very quickly realise that lives had been lost and for others, their lives would never be the same again? Oh, the bus people were wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. And the people who had survived were brought to the local GA hall and the local people gathered round and looked after them and got in touch with relatives for them. You know, it's 40 years ago, Patricia. Uh, so... Um, they were well looked after on the day. But yeah. people were very shocked. Yeah, because it was a very different era we're talking about. Very few telephones. I mean, That's I was true. reading, for example, there was a queue at the OK Corral. That's true. Um, because obviously they had, they probably had a public phone, did they? Probably to pay, yes, a yes, pay phone in there. And people uh, were queuing to try to get through to their loved ones to say, well, I'm okay. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm okay. Yeah. Yeah, but it was the, the community of Butterfant. I mean, farmers like downed tools who were out in fields and the amount of people that just rushed to help. Oh, they did, absolutely. And our own uh, uh, doctor, Finbar Kennedy, um, who's passed away since, he was on the scene and so was my sister, who's um, a qualified nurse and the local district nurse. As many as could went as quick as they could to the station. They must have witnessed dreadful scenes, Mary. They did. They really did. Yes, they did. Yes. I mean, even to hear that report of how mangled some of the bodies were, yes. I mean, God help them. Yes. They, they just, they, they didn't stand a chance, those that no, died. Not, no, no, not a hope. No, no. And they, like afterwards, in the 25 years anniversary, there were some very sad stories that came out, you know, how people were wondering that they were on the train and they shouldn't have been on the train. But, you know, Patricia, I'm a great believer in that your life is allotted for you. When your time is up, your time is up. Your time is up, your time is up, yeah. Like, little did they know. Uh, The story was told that um, some of the the, the nuns had been in separate carriages and apparently um, the conductor said, well, there's a nun in the other carriage. Would you not like to go back and join, you know, the other nun? Yeah. And she, apparently, this is the story we were told, she went back to join and she lost her life. 
And if she had stayed in the original you'd be, seat? You'd be thinking if she'd stayed wow. in the original seat. That yeah. was the known, I take it, that was mentioned there because they gave some of the names at that stage. They, they had some of the names. And there was an American man was mentioned there as well because, of course, it was the August bank holiday weekend. It was the true. It was the Friday. It would have been today would have been the 1st of August. It was the Friday of the August bank holiday weekend. And as you described it, it was a glorious oh, sunny glorious day. day. Beautiful day, Patricia. Yeah. Yeah, nothing like nothing sad. like we have today. No, and no. and people were coming Cork to Dublin, uh they were coming or Dublin to Cork, they were coming away for the weekend, many people. Going away for the holiday for the August Bank holiday weekend and everybody I believe was in great spirits, you know, heading off. Yeah. Um it was a, a, a terrible tragedy. A listener says, hi, Patricia, I remember this sad tragedy so well. My father left to attend and didn't come home for a few days. He was the anaesthetist in Mallow General Hospital at the time. He told me afterwards how incredible the rescue team were, the helicopter drivers and all of the team. And the Mallow Hospital team played a major role in the event. That's best wishes. Jack Nagel, who said my father was Dr. TJ Nagel, who would have worked so hard. Uh, Thank you for that, uh, Jack. Um, Mallow Hospital, that's one one of the ones, Mallow Hospital, people, they were for years Patricia. later, people, saw, yeah. they saved lives. They did. They were outstanding, Patricia. And, and they're like, we were so lucky to have the hospital so close, you know, and so they were able to get there as soon as they could. They were wonderful, Mallow Hospital. And you mentioned the mass that was said this morning, and there was a 10 o'clock mass in the church. Yes. The people of Bottevant will never forget those no. that passed away. No, no. And on each anniversary, right down through the 40 years, they have been remembered. Every year, there's a prayer said for them. But today was special, I suppose, being 40 years. Um, you know, it was very poignant to see the aging candles lighting on the altar. And that's something you've always done, is the, the lighting of, always of the... Done, of always the can- done, always done, yes, And yes. I remember, as you, you said, I think you, were you, you were the, the, that committee that was formed for the yes. 25th anniversary, uh, I suppose because of COVID, you couldn't do as big an event as you probably would have no, wanted to have done for this no, year. Yeah. And, we, and we would have done, you know, the 25 years was memorable. Yeah. And uh, we celebrated Mass out at the station on that day. Oh. And it was so poignant, Patricia, because as mass started, a train came through and stopped. Now, we weren't expecting that the train was going to come through, but there were so many things that happened that just, you know, kept reminding us that this was a special thing to be doing. Yeah, and as you say, back then, and that was 15 years ago for the 25th, you had survivors. Survivors. We did. Yeah. We did. did, we did. did because I remember many years, I just don't know the lady's name, interviewing a woman. She came here to the studio uh, speaking about it and she definitely still had post-traumatic stress disorder. She was never able to go near uh, a train again. That's true. And that lady attended the mass that day. I'm sure I know who you're talking yeah. about. And she hadn't been near a train station and it, it, she was very kind of moved when the train actually came in. And to hear the sound of a train again. Like I live not that far away from the station, it's kind of across the fields, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, when I hear the trains going through of a quiet night, you can hear them. Um, it always brings back a memory. And there was nobody locally 
and had died. There was, no, she, yeah, God, yeah, yeah, that's no. the one thing, yeah. And even though that's no. where the community, it wasn't that it was a local disaster where, you know, no. you were looking after your own loved ones. These were total strangers. They were, they were. But Bushmans, you know, they rallied around. Um, and I, sometimes I think, you know, when you speak about Bushmans, most people remember the crash, you know, if you talk, if somebody said you, where you're from, you say Bushmans, oh, that was that dreadful crash. Yeah. So everybody all over the country remembers what happened. Uh, Bridie wants to pass on her condolences to all those who passed away in the Butterfant uh, train disaster and Christine in Mallow says my daughter was in hospital in the regional Cork University Hospital of course it's called the regional wasn't it back yes, then 40 yes. years ago was in the regional at the time in Wilton and you could see the injured being brought into the hospital um, I used to go and stay at the hospital, but it, she said it was desperate to see the amount of injured uh, people. Yes. It always stuck in my mind. And Christine was from Mallow, so she wouldn't have been too far away from. No. Uh, and, and of course, and, 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 and nobody knew. Nobody knew how this day was going to unfold. I mean, you know, you think about it this time, 40 years ago, they'd boarded the train, as you say, a level of excitement because it was a holiday weekend holiday weekend and beautiful weather everybody was excited going off on their holiday yeah okay. but you said they'll never be forgotten by the people of no they'll never be forgotten by the people of Butterfant no not at all no. someone said is there any marker in Butterfant to remember the event yes uh, yes on the 25th anniversary there were 18 white roses planted and and those roses are blooming or just outside the, uh, the railway gate and, and there is a plaque there as well telling what happened. And the, the late June White um, always took care of those 18 roses down through the years. Wasn't that a lovely, uh, one for every life that one was lost? One for every life, yes. I wonder, do any of the family of who lost loved ones, do any of them come back, Mary? Do you know if any of them have they ever... They probably do, they probably yeah. do. Yeah, they probably do. They may do it quietly. Yes. Yes, they would, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so sad, but it's it's lovely as you say. And and the mass this morning, did it socially distance and all of that was it? It was so strange, Patricia. You know, you know, people were distant in the church, and everybody left quietly afterwards. You know, not you know, normally you'd stand around and you'd be talking about what had happened and commemorating it, but everybody just left quietly. Wow, it's still it's still such a poignant memory, uh, e- even forty years on. But I think there's something comforting for, uh, and I hope that the families of the eighteen people who are, you know, some from America, as we heard there when they listed out the names. But um, I hope that the family know that their loved ones will never be forgotten. You know, there will always no. be somebody in the Butterfield community that will keep this going. They will never be yes. uh, be uh, yes, forgotten. There will, there will, yeah. Okay, listen. You look after yes. yourself. And you too, Patricia. And I must congratulate yourself and John Paul and Sadie and Bernie. You did wonderful work while we were in lockdown. Oh, thank um, you. I was cocooning, Patricia. <laughs> did you, you cocooned well, you did. I, di- I did. And um, the radio was just fabulous. You did a great job. Great. You must, I must congratulate you. Oh, you're very you kind. Wonderful. You're very you're kind. Wonderful. Look after yourself and stay safe. And you too, Patricia. God bless. Bye bye. That is uh, Mary O'Donoghue, our Butterfant uh, reporter, remembering the Butterfant rail disaster 40 years ago this weekend. May each of those 18 souls rest in peace. 1850 333 103. This is Court Today.
with Patricia Messenger on C103. Stay with people remembering the Butterfield train disaster. Mary's in Shambhali Moor. Uh, good afternoon to you, Mary. Hello, Patricia. You you vividly remember this this weekend forty years ago. I was a patient in Mallow Hospital uh, that afternoon. I was up waiting to go to Cork for a scan, and all the ambulances, of course, have were called away. So I was left waiting. I was at the window watching everything happening, people coming in, in nurses and doctors. I don't know where they came from, but they, they, they were all over the place, you know. It was mm. frightening. And did, did the news break very quickly that this was, as I mentioned on the RT report, the most serious train crash ever? Well, I actually didn't hear the news, but we heard the sirens and we knew there was something... Uh, bad after happening you know so and then uh, were you were you in hospital with some of the people recovering then Mary I was yeah yeah, I was in hospital from the 23rd of July until the 8th of September and this was the 1st of August it happened lots of people and I got to know a lovely couple from Dublin and uh the woman now, um, Una, God rest her, has passed away, and her husband, Jimmy, she was coming down to Mallow for the weekend. To, she was a great golfer, and her husband was working in Mallow at the time. I think he was an engineer, and she was coming down. She was to meet him in Mallow Station. For, to spend um, the, the bank holiday weekend. Friends. We wrote to each other all the time, and we met up in Butterfield at the Mass all the, those years ago. Oh, did you? For the okay. 25th? Oh, how, how, how goodness. And she actually called to my door, herself and Jimmy. They used to go to West Cork for the summer. She had a daughter living down in West Cork. And the next, uh, one of the days that, that she came to the door, imagine, and there was Una and Jimmy standing. And did she make a full recovery, Mary? She did. Yeah. She did. But she got cancer afterwards and ah, she bless. passed away in the meantime. And did she did she talk to you? They were a lovely, lovely couple. Did she talk to you about the actual crash oh, yes. itself? She was in the bed next to me. Yeah. And I remember them. I was sitting by my bed and they're cutting her, her gorgeous blouse and her skirt off of her. You know, I yeah. think her tummy was very badly injured and her hip. And what did she say about the... Did she talk about the crash itself and what had happened? Or did I she? think it went over her head a bit, you know. Uh, for a while, she she was taken away, we'll say, out of it. Yeah, I it was also sudden. The, the, the rattling of the train, you know. Mm. It was yeah. also sudden that, that it, it happened. Also sudden, indeed, yes. And so you would agree with all of the people who say the staff of Mallow Hospital are to be so commended for oh what, they, what they did. Powerful altogether, amazing the job they did that evening. Yes, they saved lives. They saved lives. And on and on, people arrived in, as I say, in their dozens. Nurses, doctors. I don't know where they came from. Yeah, the call went out. We need help. They came and there was beds made available. And I remember they're bringing people in on doors. They used doors for stretchers. For stretchers, yes. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, and that helicopter landing, you know, in the front of the hospital there. Yeah, to bring, yeah, because the helicopter was going over and back, bringing, yeah, bringing, yeah. bringing people. Yeah, and it, was, it was frightening. And you made a full recovery from... from oh, I did. You... Eventually I got home. I spent my summer in there. 
but thanks be to God and touch wood I did make it home well done well done it was yeah, cut you due to lengthy small children at the time and my mom lived down with the the Dramina direction and the the surgeon said to me that night you can go home for the weekend but stay indoors I was very badly jaundiced and I was waiting to go for a scan I had gallstones in the end you know but he said don't go out but I wanted to see the three children so we could go down to Ballyhe to go home instead of going through Butterfield yeah because it was all closed off but it's it's incredible to think you were in hospital for six weeks yes yeah that yeah. wouldn't happen today. It's very different mm-hmm. times, isn't it? I know, it is. Yeah, very yeah. different times. But thank God, as I said, once I got out, I never looked back. And you kept in contact with, uh, yes, the, with, with Una, with which Una is lovely. Jimmy the whole time. Which is lovely. Yeah. Listen, thanks a million for, for sharing your memories with us. And it is hard to believe it's 40 years ago, isn't Imagine it, tomorrow? That. Hard yes. to believe. Yeah. Listen, you look after yourself. Please. Thank you for thanks, that. Patricia. God bless. Thank Bye-bye. 1850 at 333-103. Uh, OK, what else is coming in to us? on to say Patricia is the National Ploughing Association going ahead with the ploughing match we've heard nothing uh, yet we know that the um, the NPA cancelled the National Ploughing Trade Exhibition uh, they did that in a number of uh, weeks ago due to uh, the COVID-19 uh, pandemic they say and this is the, la- the last press release that we have from the National Ploughing Association they say we are still hoping that we may be able to run the National Plough competitions but obviously we'll have to do it behind closed gates the situation has been closely reviewed and will be closely reviewed over the next coming weeks so they still haven't made a decision the ploughing championships were due to be on from September 15th to 17th so I'm assuming if they still run with the competitions it'll still run over those dates of the 15th through to the 17th but as of yet closely reviewing the situation no decision has been made we will keep an eye on that and uh, bring if we get any news on it we'll bring it uh, to you while we've been remembering the Butterfinch train disaster of 40 years ago a listener says and what will we say about ourselves in 40 years uh, time about how we did our bit during COVID-19 this listener is is not happy the fact that GAA clubs are back training Uh, surely we've all been asked to social distance how can you social distance when you are playing a GAA match. Somebody says, no wonder the numbers are going up. Even though I don't think we've had any case yet or any cluster that has been clearly identified as coming from a GAA match or a GAA training session. Yes, we've had GAA clubs that have had to step down their training pending a COVID test but I don't know if any of them was directly related to a match. I'm open to question on that, but I don't think I've heard of any directly related to a match or a training. So I think perhaps that was uh, the right decision. We were talking about bins and the need for more bins in scenic areas and at the beaches. And it's, it's something the Cork County Council, it came up at a Cork County Council meeting uh, recently. A listener says, when are they going to put out extra bins for dog fouling? That's, uh, it's a big issue for people who walk dogs, particularly the responsible pet owners who bring their little uh, dog bags bags with them their poo bags with them but then they can end up walking for very long periods of time if they can't come across any of the bins there isn't that many of the bins uh, for sure we need to have more uh, of those bins uh, Hi Patricia I was in Aldi in Bandon shopping lately and what I can't get over are the amount of people who are picking up fruit and veg this is the fruit and veg 
that is not in wrapping. Now, this could be in any supermarket. It just happens to be this one in Bandon. So, you know the way you pick up your fruit and veg and you're, exa- you're examining it. People need to stop doing this, says this listener. They need to remember that the next person to pick it up could be the person eating it. I saw, for example, a lady picking up peaches and squeezing them. She was looking for the correct ripeness of the peaches and then putting them back down again. Surely people shouldn't be doing that during uh, COVID-19. Uh, yes, I, I would agree, but isn't that something we all do when we're picking up our fruit and veg? I mean, for example, I was picking up apples lately in, in a store and I have someone in my house who loves those, you know, those really red red ladies, that's what they're called, the really shiny uh, red apples. And, and I picked up one and I went to put, you know, I was getting half a dozen loose ones and I picked up one and I was went to put it into the basket until I realised it was all bruised so I wasn't buying that so I sort of put it at the back of the box in the hope that somebody else wouldn't pick it up but if somebody else picked it up they're obviously going to see going to see the same thing but I would assume with any veg, any fruit or veg like that that you're going to eat directly particularly the handheld one, handheld ones I would assume that you'd bring it home and you'd you'd clean it before give it a wash before you'd actually uh, use it. But I absolutely accept and take on board the point you're making. If me, when I was handling the apples, if I've got COVID-19 on my hands, am I then passing it on uh, to the next person? But isn't that why we're all down to the good hand hygiene and the washing of the hands and making sure that when you get home from the supermarket, you wash your hands, you put your shopping away you wa- and then you wash your hands again. But I suppose it's a, a tale as well. Make sure you watch, wash all fruit and veg that is out, that's not in plastic. And I hate the idea of saying, should we put all of our fruit and veg into plastic so that you bring it home in plastic? Because we're already seeing the amount of extra single-use plastic that has been created because of COVID-19. And we're going to have a big environmental uh, issue because that, uh, for sure. On the wearing of masks, thank you for your text. On the wearing of masks, somebody else says, people should get a fine when they enter a shop without a mask on. And it should be the boss from the shop should do it. We see shopkeepers are saying, you know, they're not a police force. They don't want to get into having massive arguments with people inside in a shop as to who sh- who isn't wearing a mask and who is wear- wearing a mask. It's a real tricky one to ask shop workers and owners to get involved with, particularly when, when it still isn't mandatory. The government hasn't mandated it yet. We're still waiting on that. Uh, hi, Patricia. Does anybody know what's happening with the back to school allowance this year? I used to get the back to school allowance automatically every year, but I had to reapply as we didn't get a letter by the 6th of July. Now, I don't know how many how many people that has happened to. Uh, We were telling people back in early July when people were asking about the back to school allowance that the people who get it automatically would get a letter saying that they were to get it and if you didn't get a letter then by the 6th of July are you a new claimant and I imagine there's a number of new claimants this year because people who had been employed every year up to this but lost their jobs because of COVID would now suddenly be entitled to a back to school allowance that they wouldn't have been on previous years so we were telling everyone if you didn't have your letter by the 6th of July so we'll give it out did many others these are people who automatically we're getting the back to school allowance year on year. Nothing has changed and you're expecting to get it again this year. And then suddenly you didn't see you to reapply. Has that happened to uh, many people? 1850-333-103. And this is Christy in Temple Glanton. Good afternoon to you, Christy, saying, Hi, Patricia. There is no doubt 
This is Christie's not happy with the government. There is no doubt that the government could not be more shambolic than it has been, even if they tried to be. It appears to me, says Christie, that based on what's been happening since government formation, that Micheál Martin will never come across as Taoiseach, as Leo Varadkar appears to be overshadowing him all the time with his solo runs. The Fianna Fáil spin machine is not as well oiled as that of Fianna Gael and is not even working. I also can't understand why not one single politician is highlighting the fact that it is costing €25,000 a day to stage the doll in the convention centre. Since its formation, all the government has done is waste money on themselves and advisors while they target people going on holidays. It should be noted that most of the people on COVID payments are as a result of the government forcibly closing down business, kind regards, says Christian Templeton. Well, they had to, I mean, I don't think you can fault the government for closing down the country. They'd no other choice in order, and it worked. Look what lockdown did. It certainly, we certainly suppressed uh, the virus. I don't know if you can attack them on that particular one. Uh, but Christy, you're right. I mean, the €25,000 to hold the doll in the convention centre seems like an incredible sum of money. If we can take any comfort from the government going on holidays, there's one. They won't have to pay €25,000 a day to have their doll sittings in the convention centre. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses. Supporting communities. Serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie just seen a text in and it's it's perfect for the community diary the drive-in bingo in Araglen community field is happening next Sunday 3 o'clock in the afternoon thanks to Tom McCarthy for sending that in to us there's a couple of other uh, drive-in bingos going on this weekend proving very popular Castletown Bear Development Association they've got their drive-in bingo that's on tonight at the pier in Castletown Bear half past eight they're going to give out over 600 euro in prizes there's also a chance to win 1,700 euro which is a lovely sum of money in a jackpot 52 calls are uh, less and there is car bingo going on in Timaleague sports field that's in ladies well in Timaleague and that's happening next Sunday and that has got a six o'clock at start and the annual Mick O'Regan Memorial Motorcycle Run in Native Pieta House is going virtual this year. If you'd like to participate, you're asked to go on your run on Saturday the 8th of August and post a picture of you and your motorbike on your own motorcycle ride out and you send it to the Mick O'Regan Memorial Facebook page and then you can make a donation to the GoFundMe link which is raising vital services for the wonderful Pieta House. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork Today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850 333 103. And here is Dan saying, Hi Patricia, just some information when you've been talking about the COVID-19 uh, payments, the €350 Euro a week, and some people have been given out about the fact that if they went on holidays that they lost uh, the payment. Uh, Dan reckons some. Now, I don't know how how much of this is going on, but there uh, is some abuse of the COVID-19 payments. Dan says there are people everywhere, everywhere, he says, claiming the payment while still working full time, including overtime. He said, I heard from a good source of a, a restaurant and both owners are on the payment. The restaurant is booming since they reopened and they're paying all of their staff in cash so that they can also continue to claim their COVID-19 payment. From what I hear, this is rampant, particularly in tourist areas where they seem to be getting away with it. There is also a pub where the entire adult family are on the payment and here's the thing that pub 
had died on its knees from lack of business three years ago. This behaviour is typical of us Irish taking the pee out of everything and trying to get everything from the government. Honest people will be hit with the bill for this for the next 20 years. This payment should be stopped immediately and everyone made to reapply for it on the basis of their current situations, says uh, Dan. And I know the department are working really hard to try to stamp out fraud. They do accept there's fraud going on because when you think of the number of people that were stopped at the airports and, and who had their COVID-19 payment stopped. It was two and a half thousand uh, people uh, had a COVID-19 payment. Only 85 of them were going on holidays. All the rest, the, the 2,415 were people who were leaving the country and were going to continue claiming it. So, you know, I think what the department and the inspectors did in catching those people was really good and they're doing their best. Something like 20 million has been saved in fraudulent cases. There'll always be fraudulent cases. I hope to God, Dan, that you're wrong, that there isn't a lot of it going on. 1850 Now, earlier today, I gave a shout out for Marymount Hospice because they were led to believe that there is fraudulent door-to-door collections going on in the name of Marymount Hospice and we're trying to get it stopped. So we're saying to people, be careful if you answer the door to somebody trying to claim that they're collecting for Marymount because Marymount say they are not conducting any door-to-door collections. Uh, Margaret is in Donnerell and she's come across, she reckons, one of these scam artists. Good afternoon, Margaret. Hi, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well. Uh, when did this happen to you? Uh, just about... 10 minutes ago. Okay, tell yeah. us what happened. It's uh, someone going around uh, selling air fresheners for cars and for your bins, you know, um, that you can put into your bins to make them smell nice. And uh, it's the donations were to Marymount Hospice. And he's around Donwell at the at this particular moment. Have you rang the guards? Uh, I'm just going to ring. I went, ring, yeah. I went down to, like, I just saw it on C103 and I just said I'd give a ring. Well to done, Joe. well done. Okay. So I, that's my next uh, thing now is to ring the guards. And he's driving a white van? No, no, that, that was a mistake. That's the, a mistake. The, yeah, it was, that was a different one. I can't okay. see, I actually can see the car. I'm watching to see if I can see a car because I, he's not local so he must be driving something. And did he, yeah. did he say how much he wanted for the uh, air freshers? No, because I did, just didn't, uh, just didn't uh, take, you know, I, I was, I said no thanks but it was for, like, since when, when he said Mary Mount on his, you know, twice, I just thought, uh, I've, I've seen something this morning. I just looked at C103 and I realised that it was... Well done, um, well done. Yeah. So oh. he's around the Donnerill area, so if he calls him on his door, just tell him to... Be careful. To, yeah. And that's, and he's actually selling something, letting on that he's donating uh, yeah, it to Mary Mount. It's, uh, it's like it's, a small air freshener. It's a scam. It's a complete yeah. scam. Thanks, okay. thanks, right. Margaret. We'll let you get on to, uh, we'll let her get on to the guards in... Uh, Mallow and, and I'm assuming they'll get on to Marymount because I know Marymount are asking people if you come across this guy and I don't know how many others maybe it's only one involved I don't know how widespread it is and I don't know where is he surfacing all over the city and uh, county but I know Marymount are trying to track the people that are involved in this so they're asking people to contact uh, Marymount as well so please they are not conducting door to door uh, collections that's on behalf of uh, Marymount now Christy Nolan is a health and safety consultant and he's contacted the programme good afternoon to you Christy Good afternoon, now, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. There's a couple of issues we want to chat to you about. Correct. Starting starting off firstly with pubs. You feel the pubs should reopen? Well, Patricia, I suppose, in fairness, they're a controlled environment and they will be policed and they're already policed because, as I had last night in the world, one place in Dublin, they had about five five guards called them just to check them and things like that. Now, there's parties all over the country. There's no checks. The guards have no capacity to go in there. They have no legal 
standards to check them out. They're buying slabs and slabs and so forth, and there's no control there. They can do what they like there. And if that was controlled in the pubs, I think it would be a good idea because now they're saying you lose your inhibitions, but they're losing their inhibitions in the private parties. Much more. And, yeah, and you, can have, you can have a three-bedroom semi-detached house and up Correct. to 50 people inside in the, in the sitting room in the kitchen. It's and, like impossible to social distance. And wait, I tell you, Patricia, everyone is aware of it. They don't care. They put it up on Facebook and everything like that. So the, the girls and all are aware of it. But they know they can't raid these places, if you know what I mean. They can't uh, go in there and stop. Well, they can't go in uh, onto private property because right. somebody having a house party, unless there's a noise issue or something, they're not play, breaking any. There's no law there that allows a guardie to just enter your house and say, stop your party. Now, they can suggest you stop your party, but they can't go physically into the house. But isn't it amazing the way the, the government are able to put in legal requirements when it suits them? Now, Another issue I have there, Patricia, is with the supermarkets. Okay. Not the retail outlets. Now, they made it compulsory that you wear a face mask when you go into a retail outlet where there's people communicating. Now, I challenged one of the girls the other day in one of those supermarkets, and I said, there's a load of people here today not wearing masks today. What are you doing about it? She said, we can do nothing about it. And I said, who's policing? She said, no one policing it. Now, they're the most dangerous place you could be, Patricia, because... People are going around as well, handling all the food, hundreds of people handling all the food, and you're taking that home, and it's definitely contagious, that thing with all the, the food. If didn't, How are you going to control that? It is so dangerous, and there's no chicks. Well, we know with the wearing of masks, they have made it mandatory. There is a law being passed so that the members of Angarda Chicona can get onto a bus or a train and can haul you off and fine you and send you to jail if you're not wearing a mask. But we know the legislation hasn't been passed to make it mandatory in shops. They won't because they're going to have this. I know, I know, I know. know. It is a a terror. But I mean, in fairness, there's so much backtracking here that you you wouldn't understand what's going on for all the next factors. And I mean, the meat factories are another thing that's a very serious thing. And I had a person call to me the other night looking for a safe pass course because we we do safe pass course. And and I said, for you, I won't give the name now in fairness of where it is. But he said, I work in a meat factory. And I said, it must be very hard to work there. And I said, he said, we don't take any notice of those. We're doing that's what he told me. No, it is true. And we know, and, and we know it. what's happened since with, and we know what's happening Correct. inside yeah. in those. Okay, all right. Listen, are, are you busy at the moment because of COVID nineteen as a health and safety consultant? I am, I am yeah. actually. Yeah. Now, there's just one more issue for time there available for work. Heather Humphreys said that the, it was always a legal requirement that you had be had to be available for work, and they were checking on the airports going out, and they'd stopped their payments because they weren't available for work. Right? Yeah. Then she turned about, turned, did a U-turn and said, if you're going to a green country, you can go and you won't lose it, even though it was enshrined in law the night before that you had to be available for work. So she said, now there's no need to be available for work if you go to a green country. So they're totally mixed up. Yeah, there's a lot of U-turns. Yes, so lot, yeah, all right, Patricia. Okay, you have a good weekend. Thanks, Christy. And uh, thanks for joining us, 1850 uh, Listener says, every pub and restaurant are selling drinks. But well, no, you're, that's wrong. Not every pub. There 
are some selling food and uh, ser- selling drink without serving food and they went undercover. I don't know if you saw that on prime time uh, last night in a number of pubs in Dublin. And on a completely different issue um, and one of our regular listeners has texted in she's a bit worried about her driving licence. My driving licence was due for renewal on the 26th of July and I am now 70 since the 26th which was last Sunday. Happy birthday to you Anne. And I had to get a form filled out by my doctor but I can't get an appointment anywhere before September with the NDLS you know the National Driving Licence to have my licence renewed so please 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 can you tell me if I can drive my car as I need to be able to drive my car without being penalised by Gardaí our insurance I can tell you and you are fine because uh, they introduced it was this now was earlier on it went back into March they introduced it whereby if your licence I'm just looking for the exact wording uh, on it if your licence expired okay if your licence or learner permit expired before the 1st of March no that's not it sorry I've lost the piece I'm looking for anyway they've extended all of the driving licence because of uh, COVID-19 anyone who's driving licence expired here it is if your driving licence expired before the 1st of March and the 30th of June your licence is automatically renewed for a further four months and it applied to all categories so they added four months onto it they also by the way if you're over 70 you didn't need to supply a medical report from your doctor and that was applying up to the 31st of July so you even though you've got your medical cert which which is fine but you didn't actually uh, need it but they're automatically renewing for a further four months but I'm just seeing that's the 30th of June I'm just going to have to look at this again uh, for Anne. Okay, I'll get John Paul to take a look at that for you just to find out exactly uh, what you need to do because it seems the guidelines are up to the 31st of July, which of course, which means that they're going to end uh, today. But there's certainly there was a four months being added on to uh, driver's licence. Okay, and leave it with us and we'll check it out for you. I'm sure you're going to be okay, but I know you don't want to take the risk of driving and that you don't have uh, an actual licence. Uh, 1850 103. We're going to take a break and we are going uh, to talk about movies with Mark Malone. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 103. And some suggestions for movies to watch this uh, bank holiday weekend. I'm joined by Mark Malone, our movie reviewer. Good afternoon to you, Mark. Hi, Patricia. And you, you are welcome now. You have uh, two movies that you watched for us, The Big <coughs> Ugly and Dark Waters. Do you want to start with The Big Ugly? Uh, which, sure. Yeah, which, is, uh... which is a drama. Um, it's kind of a violent drama, yeah. Um, but it's a it's a film that certainly lives up to its name. I mean, this isn't a very nice film at all by any stretch of the imagination. And it's a very odd film. Um, and it, I think it tries to be some kind of kind of southern kind of film noir, but it doesn't really quite work that way. And it's a it's a strange film that kind of blurs the lines between good guys and bad guys, and that's its main problem, I think, because you have no idea who you to root for in this film because everybody is just a bad guy really and uh, you know there are times when you think yes you know who's good who's bad there's a scene with Ron Perlman one of the actors in it he's um, he's an oil man he's an American oil man and he gives this big speech for what reason we've no idea uh, where he says you know I love my country and I love the environment I don't frack I don't use chemicals but yeah, he does turn out to be a bad guy. And and that's part of its problem, because you're thinking, who do I root for here? I, I can't root for anybody, because everybody's just scummy and horrible. Um, basically, the story is is that um, a couple of um, London mob bosses, here played by uh, Malcolm McDowell and Biddy Jones, decide um, to launder some kind of dirty money by um, investing <coughs> excuse me, in 
American oil, and uh, uh, so they get involved with an oil man called, uh, played by here by uh, Ron Perlman, and so they go to uh, West Virginia, and um, initially everything goes well, but of course in movies like this, that doesn't happen, and uh, things go bad pretty quickly. So if you look at the poster, you do think, you know, with uh, Vinnie Jones, uh, who's the star of this, uh, with um, with a shotgun in his hand, you think it's going to be another kind of um, smoking barrels movie, uh, but it's nothing like that at all. There's an awful lot of people sitting around just talking, and uh, there's a lot of speechifying, there's a lot of kind of pontificating about uh, kind of life, and uh, how horrible life can be. And you know, all the time you're thinking, okay, are we going to have an action sequence? Is something actually going to happen? People, you know, gave speeches for absolutely no reason whatsoever. And it's very slow and very dull. And even when the violence does happen, it's not really that exciting. I mean, it really is awful. And the, the, the other strange thing I noticed is that when the, when, the, um, when, when the film started, and I was looking at the cast, I noticed that Vinnie Jones, Malcolm McDowell, and Ron Perlman, they were all um, down as producers of this film. Wow. So it was almost as if the only way they could get them into the film is to actually give them um, a, um, a, um, a producer's heading as well, uh, which is very strange uh, and it's very odd. Uh, it's a small movie. It's made by a guy called Scott Wiper, who does make uh, kind of B movies, but this is more like a Z movie. It's very boring. It's very dull, <laughs> and uh, I can't recommend it. I'm afraid. But very violent. When it does, yeah, it's not hugely violent. I mean, that's the thing. Um, but there's an awful lot of drinking. I can. Tell you. <laughs> I've never seen so much drinking in all my life. I mean, it really is quite extraordinary how these people manage to kind of get through the day uh, with the amount of whiskey that uh, they drink. Yeah, but it's a very—it's a terrible disappointment. Obviously, if you wanted it, kind of a, a kind of a, a southern kind of film war mixed with a kind of a one of those kind of London gangster films, but it just simply doesn't work, and it's very disappointing, boring, and dull, and just simply doesn't work. And is Vinnie Jones any good in it? It's Vinnie is Vinnie, you know. Yeah. he can act a bit. Um, you know, his—he uh, does this weird voiceover where it talks like this throughout the whole film. And uh, it's very difficult to understand what he's saying. But, uh, yeah, it's dull and boring, and I, I, I can't recommend it, I'm afraid. And a piece of trivia, Vinnie Jones uh, in the movie, along with um, Stephen Marcus, who plays Big James in the movie. They were both together in Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels. Uh, apparently so, Back yeah. in, in 1998. Okay, so this is the big ugly. Mark it out of ten. Ugly it is, uh, oh. I'll give it three. <laughs> <laughs> Malcolm McDowell's okay. Is he? He always has been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, he's, uh, a, he's, he's a fine he actor. He does a lot of snarling and, uh, and he's worth watching for, but the rest of it is terrible. OK, uh, Dark Waters then. This is a biography slash drama slash history movie. Well, no, it's, it's based on a true story. Ah, I mean, okay. and, and Yeah, and it's, a, it's an extraordinary story. We, and, like The Big Ugly, actually, it's also uh, set in uh, West Virginia. And uh, if you think of Aaron Brockovich, I presume you've seen Aaron Brockovich. Uh, apps, great, great movie, yeah. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And it's pretty much the exact same story and also based on a true story. If you remember, uh, Julie Roberts in that film, she brought down a kind of a Californian power company which was accused of uh, polluting a city's water supply. This is exactly the same story. And this is a story that uh, is still continuing. I mean, they're still suing uh, the company in Mench, uh, the uh, the company that polluted the the waters of this town in West Virginia. So at the start of the film, we meet Mark Ruffalo, who also produces this film as well. Uh, He is a corporate defense attorney doing very well and um, then one day from his old town in West Virginia uh, come two farmers and they tell him look we know your grandmother she said come to you we need your help because the chemical company next to my farm is killing all my animals and he said look you know I'm a a defense attorney I I, you know I, I defend the chemical companies I can't defend you but he becomes interested and fascinated by this story and decides to travel there and then uncovers this extraordinary story of of corruption 
and um, and uh, you know corporate America, I think at its at its very very worst because the chemical company knew what was happening all those years. They knew that what they were producing was causing cancers and birth defects. I mean, even amongst their own uh, staff, for example. I mean, the women who would work on on some of the lines there. Uh, their babies were having birth defects, so they just covered it all up by taking them off the, the off the line. Um, just they were it's a, a chemical called PFOH, which they were developing, which um, produces Teflon for for kind of uh, frying pans. And uh, what they would then do is they would t- dump all their kind of toxic remains into the rivers, and they would bury them, which would then of course get into uh, the drinking water of the town, and of course cause terrible cancers. And of course they covered it up all the time. And at one stage, uh, Mark Rothwell points out the fact that you know you only care. About money. You made a billion dollars last year, but in process of doing that, you have um, caused terrible health problems to uh, the people of the town. And so therefore, um, he decides to take out, as you can imagine, um, and decides to sue the company on behalf of the people in the town. Not an an easy thing to do. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And of course, um, it's still going on. In fact, this film kind kind of goes over 20 years. And, of course, it also deals with how it um, kind of affected him as a human being and the stress that he went through. He would come home and, of course, it would, it would affect his home life. It affected his work life. It affected uh, the fact that, of course, the chemical company was the, the biggest uh, employer in the town. So, therefore, the townspeople, even though he was trying to save them and help them, they too hated him because, of course, they were getting laid off as uh, the company was being sued and had to uh, make these payouts, which are still continuing to this day. And um, if I have a, a problem with the film, it's about 10, 15 minutes too long. There's a stage where you actually think the film is over and then it continues on and has scenes which I think are unnecessary. Uh, Anne Hathaway's in the film and I think they, it was almost like they added scenes for her at the end because otherwise she would have just been the wife, unfortunately. Yeah. And she's very good. And she's very good in those scenes as well, as is uh, Mark Ruffalo as well. And it's a fascinating kind of film to look at the processes that he has got to go through uh, to try and win these people, at least some kind of retribution against this company. At the very end of the film, it does point out the fact that uh, this particular chemical is actually in 99% of humanity in the world. My There's God. a very good chance that this chemi- this chemical is actually in your body and in my body as well, and uh, and that's an extraordinary. Um, uh, that's statistic. incredible. Whether it's true or not, I don't know, but they say uh, uh, it is. And so it, again, if you liked Aaron Brockovich, you certainly like this. Uh, the same kind of processes. The fact that all this kind of takes so long, and what um, you know people have got to go through, um, and the amount of time that they've got to put in to try and get retribution. And um, what? Wh- where, when is it set? When? What? What? When does it's it happen? Not it started in 1998, actually, and there's a very oh, interesting scene. Where, it's it's where new he, enough. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, if I, I don't want to mention the company's name. Yeah, yeah, please. If I yeah, the company's name, do. you will know the name. Okay, all right, company. yeah. Yeah, and there's a scene, for example, at the very start of the film where he uses a public phone box and he puts the he puts the receiver right up to his mouth. And nowadays, of course, you just go whoa. Um, and of course, as the time uh, progresses, he does have mobile phones. But uh, yeah, I mean, the film itself spans over 20 years uh, of this man's life. And uh, it's it's an extraordinary film, and I, I would recommend it. Oh, I, lo- it I love those, I lo- and I love it, the fact that it's a true story because you sort of you watch it as a movie, and then in the middle of it, you you, you start. Oh, this is a true story. This is a true story. It's incredible. And he's still suing the company on behalf of the the, the, the people in this town to well this done. day. Okay, Mark. So that's Dark Waters. Mark it out of ten. Yes. 
Uh, well, I would have given it a 10, apart from the fact that it is too long, so I'll give it 8. 8, OK. Thanks a million. All right, listen, have a lovely week. Enjoy your bank Thank holiday you. weekend. We'll talk to you next Friday. Thanks. That's uh, Mark Malone, our movie reviewer. 1850 And thank you to someone who has given me the answer for Anne, who's in a bit of a pickle with her driving licence, which runs, needs to be changed. Her licence is, is up for renewal on the 26th of July. She's gone on to NGLS and she said she can't get an appointment before September. And we knew that the driving licence, because it was a huge problem during lockdown with people not being able to get out to renew their licence, and we knew that people were, there was an extension put on to uh, driving licences. But the extension was only put on for all driving licences that expired from the 1st of March to the 30th of June had automatically been extended by four months. But that's not going to help our poor Anne because Anne has run out on the 26th of July. And somebody has said the extension on driving licence expired at the end of June. Uh, somebody went to the office in uh, Skibbereen. Uh, this lady uh, used that service on the 9th of July uh, and got her licence there. But I don't know where Anne has applied, but she can't get an appointment. She said anywhere uh, before September. Now, John Paul has just told me that he is getting on to, he's, he's contacted the Road Safety Authority regarding the driving licence issue as nobody is providing clarity on the, and he can't get clarity from the National Driving Licence Service. So Anne, bear with us on that. We're hardly going to get anything before the close of the programme today. What I would suggest you do, because I don't want you running the risk of driving around and you if God forbid you got stopped and your licence is out of date, there was an issue with the guard or there was an issue uh, with your insurance, I would suggest you ring your local guard, the station just to see what they suggest you do, because as you say you need to be able to drive and in the meantime we'll get on to the Road Safety Authority and uh, hopefully uh, it'll be cert- certainly by, uh, when we come back on Monday or Tuesday because of the Bank Holiday Weekend we'll have an answer for you. 1850 All tells me we've had a number of calls in from people who are having problems with their driving licence like Anne who initially contacted us to say her driving licence is up for renewal she can't get an appointment at her NDLS uh, centre until September and she's fearful now she's going to be driving around with an out of date licence they had issued extensions to people on their driving licence but that ran out at the end of June. So there are a number of other people whether they're going to have to extend that or not I don't know but we're on to the RSA. We've uh, sent uh, an email off to them so hopefully we'll have some clarification for people on that but just let Anne know you are certainly not on your own. And we spoke about littering earlier on and the need for more dog bins. Hi I was in Blarney a few weeks ago and the amount of dog fouling was horrible. Uh, especially across from the playground, more bins certainly are needed. Okay, that's where we wrap it up for uh, today and indeed for this week. Once again, my thanks to John Paul and to Sadie for taking all your calls this week and thank you to everybody who contributed uh, to the programme. Uh, Nick Richards with you for the afternoon. We're back with you Tuesday morning. Enjoy your bank holiday weekend. Normally being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? 
They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 